We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Joining me shortly is Chris Biederman of the Sacramento Bee. And as always, we are sponsored by Oakley. Express your style and build a look that's made for you. You know how much I like Oakley? I moved to Oakley. Yeah, Oakley, California. I went, I need to live there. That's how much I love my Oakleys. Do you run golf, train, or maybe you just want to look like Debo Samuel, who wears Oakleys? I uh, I respect that a lot. Suited for everyday eyewear with frames and lenses, allowing for an extension of self, an expression of your personality. There's more than meets the eye. And that's true. Like, you can wear them for sports. You can wear them for yard work. I do that. Wear them for driving. Wear them just to, like, enhance my look. One of my, what a bad face day. I'm going to put on these sunglasses and improve my face. And listen up, because it's officially almost summer, which means you need to upgrade your sunglasses now. Get that sunglass game up. Check out oakley.com to get yourself a pair today. The Holbrooks, I bring them up every time. I'm right there. The 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 Sutros are very dope as well. I need to cop a pair of those, but I've got my Holbrooks. And if you're just looking for gen- like a just classic-looking pair of shades... Those are the ones. Oakley even offers Prism technology. And what the hell is that, you ask? We're going to find out together. It's a proprietary technology to Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. And if you want to know more, because I know you do, head on over to oakley.com and do your own damn research, people. And while you're there, get yourself a pair of everyday glasses that'll be sure to change your look for the better. When you wear Oakley, there is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me. Try for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, like a whole bunch of them. And I'm going to show you that Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to Oakley.com for more information today. So we're going to get in. There's a little bit of of news that we'll dive into. And then we're going to talk about the players who need to step up for the 49ers this year. But real quick off the top, before we dive into that, I, I wanted to clear something up because it wasn't sitting right with me. Something I brought up in the last episode, we were talking about OTAs and observations from OTAs. And the point I was trying to convey was that fans and consumers should not take these OTA observations necessarily as gospel for the rest of the season, but more as just to paint a picture of kind of where things are heading into training camp. And a great OTA performance does not mean a great training camp performance is coming. It does not mean that a player is guaranteed a roster spot or anything like that. That's more what I was trying to convey. And I think I did a really bad job of 
going about that. I, I, um, I don't want to discredit the people who are on the ground and working as the eyes and ears for people who are not there. Um, you know, making the observations, pointing out things that they see, things they notice that's super valuable and it's very much appreciated. And I wanted to make sure that that was very, very clear because I, I think I did a bad job of, of conveying my point on, on our last pod. So shout out to everybody who is covering OTAs and giving out their thoughts and feelings on their various platforms. It is immensely appreciated to people like me who are not there. So thank you everybody uh, who is out there putting in that work. All right, let's dive into the pod. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. Chris, you'll never believe this. What up? Jimmy Garoppolo had surgery. <laughs> Can I just real quick, and I, there's there's 49ers related stuff, like Jimmy Garoppolo maybe being out till training camp and maybe beyond is not, uh, doesn't matter for this podcast. But there's a couple things in here in this story. Tayshawn Reed and Vic Taper in The Athletic reported that Jimmy Garoppolo had surgery on his foot injury that he suffered in week 13 against the Dolphins. And there's a couple Niners-related nuggets in here. And this is reported in The Athletic. First thing that jumped out to me, it's a tough look for the Niners' doctors and training staff that Garoppolo was... They they feared that he was going to need surgery, but then the team doctor evaluated it. Said, like, no, this type of fracture doesn't need surgery. He's good to go in two months. And it's now well past two months and he needed surgery. That's just kind of a tough, a, a tough go. And maybe he did something to it since then that made it worse. But that was the first thing that stood out to me here. Are, are we going to see Jimmy Garoppolo in the joint practices with the Niners and Raiders this summer is really... Ooh. What's is Jimmy Garoppolo like? did is it did he have the surgery deliberately to duck the 49ers? Is he trying to miss getting picked off by Fred Warner three times during <laughs> training camp? <laughs> no, I mean it sucks, but it like I was telling you, I I'd completely forgotten there was there was so much weirdness around Jimmy Garoppolo signing the, the actual contract and the introductory press conference in Vegas, right? Because apparently, if you go back and read the story. And I'd forgotten about this, but like Jimmy went to the facility to sign the contract and then left and was supposed to have the introductory press conference that day and then left without signing the contract or having the press conference. And everyone's like, what's happening? <laughs> this, this is a little weird. Um, and now it comes out. He he had surgery in March. So I don't know. I don't know if he aggravated the injury. I don't know if the 49ers um, training staff and doctors mishandled or miss. Um, what's the word? I misdiagnosed the the injury, but it's sort of like in general, it just kind of speaks to one of the key reasons the 49ers wanted to move on was just that lack of reliability. 
Yep. Right. Like Jimmy's had like cert like injuries throughout his time. And and that's ultimately a reason why they're moving on. And ironically enough, now the 49ers have largely pinned their hopes on a guy who's recovering from major elbow surgery. <laughs> so unreal. <laughs> um they yeah, they just can't catch a break or are catching too many breaks, depending on how, how you want to look at this. But I just I don't, I don't know. It's I like Jimmy a lot. Nice dude. Um, but this is like it's it just feels like a very like Raiders type thing to happen. Be like, all right, we're gonna give this quarterback a seventy-two million dollar contract, but he's not gonna be able to sign it. We're not sure about his physical, and oh, he had surgery last month. We're not, and we're gonna pretend like we knew that it was happening, and and we were totally fine with it all along. When in reality, the Raiders probably signed it, signed him, realized his foot wasn't as good as as they initially thought, or maybe he had a setback. And then it's like, well, shit, now we're in a scenario where we might not have our new starting quarterback until training camp. And Brian Hoyer is going to be working as our starter throughout the offseason program. That's not re- really where you want to be. I don't get it. <laughs> I just I, I don't. We just don't but have this... all the information, you know, like yeah. I think it's probably pretty straightforward, but nobody is going to be too. uh too forthcoming when it comes to all the information behind this because the Raiders would never admit and I know Josh McDaniel said on the record like oh this is we knew everything that was happening with Jimmy's foot when we signed him it's like yeah that's obviously what you say but there's a pretty good chance that you're not giving him a 72 million dollar contract if you knew he was going to need surgery and you knew he wasn't going to be available till training camp that means we were dangerously close to Jimmy Garoppolo just re-signing with the Niners because Jimmy he Garoppolo, <laughs> Jimmy Garoppolo taking the uh, the Brandon Allen spot. <laughs> the Jimmy Garoppolo, Trey Lance, and Sam Darnold competing to back up Brock Purdy. <laughs> Jimmy Garoppolo, more or less talented of a thrower than Sam Darnold. Oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's now, the other. The other thing that jumped out here was remember that whole thing, like. Look, the Niners kept Garoppolo active and did not place him on injured reserve because they had maximized the they they had hit the maximum number of players that they could return from IR. So if Jimmy Garoppolo had gone on IR when he went down with the injury, his season would have been over. They would not have been able to activate him. And that's where this whole thing with the Niners team doctor being like, yeah, he's good to go in two months if they go to the NFC championship game or the Super Bowl, he'll be able to come back. It's like clearly not. They yeah. More or less, and I don't want to say wasted a roster spot because there wasn't somebody they were going to add in week 14 who was going to make a huge difference. I kind of want this to be that dramatic. But at the same time, they kept him active. They didn't they didn't use his roster spot because they had a note this inkling that he would be able to to play if he was needed in the Super Bowl. And let's say Josh Johnson stays healthy and the Niners go on to beat the Eagles. I don't think Garoppolo is going to be available. It would have been Josh Johnson in the Super Bowl. And like Jacob Eason is You think backup. Josh Johnson is beating the Eagles? Had he stayed healthy in the 40 yards no. and winning that game? Okay. No. <laughs> okay. No, I no, I that's not I'm sorry. That was not what I was trying to say. I got I'm you. I'm saying <laughs> in the event that he stays healthy, Right. And then also separately, <laughs> in the event that they somehow won the game, the the 
they would have gone into the Super Bowl very likely with Josh Johnson as QB1. Because I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be cleared. Would have been tough sledding against the Kansas City Chiefs had that happened. You're not liking Josh Johnson v. Patrick Mahomes? Not my favorite matchup. <laughs> no. God, Man. can you imagine how much complaining there would have been if that happened? No. I don't know if it would have been complaining. I think it, it would have been all I time think... complaining. Everybody I... would have weighed in on how boring the Super Bowl was because the 49ers didn't have a quarterback. No disrespect. No, to you're right. Johnson. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. That's true. But also, the he would have been the single biggest story of the Super Bowl. Like Josh Johnson's NFL career culminates in this ass whooping at the hands of the <laughs> Kansas City Chiefs. It would have been the Mike Block of the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really good. Nice. Um, um, yeah. That's as much as I want to. So I saw somebody critiquing 49ers content creators on Twitter, which is a bad place to find critiques. But there was a complaint <laughs> that there's too much talk about the quarterback situation, which like, okay. So that's as much as we're going to talk about the 49ers quarterbacks today. We're going to talk about other positions. What a weird thing to complain about. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I get it. But also, there's plenty. Trust me, I peruse other Niners content, and there's plenty of non-QB stuff out there. The QB stuff is just what gets talked about the most on the internet. It also is what gets clicked on the most. Like, if you're creating written (laughs) content... I, I wrote a state of the 49ers roster about the quarterbacks and I've done one about the running backs. The quarterbacks one has over double the clicks. Yeah. Just kind of how it goes. Yeah. But it's also, like I said, it's it's also the most interesting part. It's the thing that gets discussed the most. So it's just out there. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the players that need to step up for the 49ers this year. Players either in new roles or in bigger roles. Just... We know Nick Bosa and Christian McCaffrey and Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle and Fred Warner. All those guys are going to be good and need to be good. But Trent Williams, another good player. But some of the guys on the periphery. Sure. And the first one that jumps out to me is pretty obvious, and that's Colton McKivitz, the new presumed starting right tackle. And we talked a little bit about the offensive line. I think, was it last episode or a couple episodes ago? But the need for the offensive line to be to be better. Oh, it was when we were talking about starters at new positions. And for McKivitz, if he's just going to be what he's been when he's gotten his stints as a starter, that's just, I don't think that's going to be good enough over the course of a 17-game season. He needs to be significantly better than he's been when he has gotten opportunities to play. So, <clears throat> I think... The way we talk about or the way like tackle positions get talked about in the NFL is so dependent on pass protection, right? Because you can it's very easy to watch a game and watch a defensive end beat a tackle and go sack the quarterback on third down and then make a big hubba hubba about the like about whatever whatever the word is make a big deal about the the right tackle getting beaten him needing to be better but i would argue like for the 49ers and probably the reason why mike mcglinchey was sort of undervalued i think by the fan base 
Like for Colton McKivitz to be really good for the 49ers, he has to be a really good run blocker. Yes. And I almost think that's more important than being than being like a, a good pass protector. And obviously that's that's really important because there are going to be a lot of pass rushers that line up on his side, particularly with Trent Williams Williams on the left side. But so much of what the 49ers do is stresses defense. They stress defenses on the edges in the running game, which sets up play action. Obviously, their bubble screen game is really important. Um, there are so many plays where the tackle needs to be good in space and needs to be good at getting to the second level. And the success of one of those plays can be, you know, whether or not a offensive lineman, an offensive lineman can get to the nickel corner or an outside linebacker or a strong safety and make that seal block, which turns it into, you know, instead of a three or four yard gain into a big like 20 yard run, right? which are so important to the 49ers offense, right? Like the running game. It's not like we're going to run it 40 times and average three and a half yards a carry. And that's how we're going to beat you. Like the Niners running game is the type of running game where they're really reliant on explosive runs. And teams get so fearful of those explosive runs that that's why play action works. And that's sort of the the fundamental philosophical basis of, of how the offense works. So for McKivitz, I just think he needs like the most important thing for him is to be a really good run blocker. Yeah. And if he can do that, then the offense can do what it's typically done because the 49ers aren't going to be a team that drops back 45 times and has Brock Purdy doing, you know, five to seven step drops 20 times a game. Like everything's really quick um, when it comes to the passing game generally. So it's there, there aren't a ton of third and long situations, or at least by design, the 49ers are trying to avoid all those. So I honestly, my take on my kivitz is that he needs to be like run blocking is more important than pass blocking for him. I couldn't agree more. I think for him to be as good of a pass blocker as Mike McGlinchey is not that big of an ask. He needs to be a little better there to get to that level. But McGlinchey was not an all-world pass blocker. We, we, yeah, we it was probably that. league average. Right, just an adequate pass blocker. Yeah. But on those big runs you were talking about, how many times on those runs did you see McGlinchey in the second level sealing off a linebacker or just carrying a defensive end out, out, out of the play entirely? Yeah. They have all the time. So that's, I, I agree completely. And I don't believe that McKivitz is going to be that level of, of run blocker, at least not right away, but he has to be better there. They're and the showing... Niners must, must have a pretty, pretty immense belief that he can do it. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Like they're showing, they're showing a lot of faith in Colton McKivitz. Yeah. By the way they're sort of treating him like, no, nah, he's, you know, we, we would have been fine trading McGlinchey last year because we feel yeah. this confident in McKivitz. It's like, all right, like, sure. sure. And I guess, you know, they, they had a similar level of faith in Jake Brendel last year. And Brendel was, I would say, fine to, you know, maybe average to a little bit better than league average at center. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe they deserve the benefit of the doubt when it comes to Chris Forrester and, and his evaluation of the offensive line, because he's, He's ultimately the most, the most important guy in the room when it comes to evaluating offensive line prospects mm-hmm. um, and and doing internal you know roster evaluations and stuff like that. So 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if if he's right on McKivitz like he was Brendel, like that's a good thing. I, I think McKivitz needs to be better than Brendel, though. Like, I don't think I think McKivitz needs to be better than a league average right tackle um, because, you know, as good as the 49ers skill guys are, they they do need good blocking. Like, it's just it's just fundamental to what they do. And yeah. like they they got to they got to keep their guys healthy and dictate to the defenses when they're getting hit more so than like taking a bunch, you know, Christian McCaffrey is going to be better off if he's getting tackled by safeties and corners than he is defensive linemen and linebackers. <laughs> Big picture, right? <laughs> like more often yes. than not. So, well, and <laughs> good play uh, at the tackles is what allowed them to roll out Aaron Banks and Spencer Burford and Jake Brendel in the middle. If their interior does not, and, and their interior might be better this year too. Maybe Banks, Brendel and, and Burford all, all take, steps forward this year in their in their second year as starters, which which would be an immense help. But if they're just kind of at the level they were last year where they were okay but pretty up and down. If McKivitz is also just okay and pretty up and down, that that's four spots on the offensive line that are question marks on a get on on a play to play basis. I think Banks was good. Yeah. No, he was he was good for the most part. But it's still on a snap to snap basis. Like Lake and Tomlinson, you just felt okay. Hey, Lake and Tomlinson is fine. You're going to forget about him. Yeah. But anyways, going to be interesting. Fascinating. Am, the, I, am I offering one up? Uh, do you want to? I, we didn't actually make that totally clear. Yeah. I have no, a list I can here. Do it. I like I was going through it. You, so you have a list. I was just looking at the roster and the guys I was, I were, I was coming up with are generally, members of the 2022 draft class <laughs> um okay, drake... just pick a player and let's kick it around we have yeah. a podcast it, drake jackson's kind of an obvious one that was good that was the next one on my list yeah i mean he's you know bulked up obviously looked the part for for spells last year but then found himself inactive late in, late in the year and the 49ers sort of indicated that he wore down etc cetera, etc cetera. i just for their defense, like their defense is already elite, right? Like, mm. and what made their defense elite in 2019 was the fact that, like, when they had D Ford on the field, it was just different. It was, if it was third and long and you had Nick Bosa and DeForest Buckner and Eric Armstead and D Ford all on the field, it was like, good luck, man. Like, you were, you just weren't yes. beating that team uh, because their pass rush was so good. I would say with Hargrave, Javon Hargrave, Armstead, Bosa, like you have the potential to be as good as as that 2019 team, but you need Jackson to be what D Ford was. And I think he has the talent to, but for the defense to be good enough, like to be elite, historically good, whatever superlative you want to use. I think they need better than just like replacement level play from that other defensive end spot. And obviously, you know, using a second round pick on Jackson last year makes him a really, really important player. And like maybe Cleveland Farrell's fine. You know, maybe Kerry Hyder's fine. Maybe Austin Bryant's fine. But like if you're if you're playing those guys, you have a clear weak point in your front four. Whereas if you're playing Drake Jackson, you view him because look like 
Drake Jackson, probably a first round talent. If, if there wasn't so much turnover in coaching staff and philosophy and scheme at you at USC while he was there, you know, there are people who believe he was a first half of the first round type talent. Right. So if he's able to maximize just that talent and fit in this defense, then he can become something akin to what D Ford provided the 49ers when he was on the field and playing at a high level. And so he's, he's just super important. Like obviously the 49ers defense is good, but if it's going to be like good, good, like championship level, good, like for the 49ers to win a championship this year, like Drake Jackson has to be a dude. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And there's, so I'm going to tie in another, another aspect of this. Their depth behind him is like Cleveland Furl and Austin Bryant and Robert Beal, a fifth round pick from Georgia and Kerry Hyder, I guess. Alex Barrett like, would like Alex, a word. Dude, 49ers legend Alex Barrett. He's going to be the longest tenured player on the team here soon. The <laughs> <laughs> longest tenured practice squad member. But that they that group one of those players needs to be good in and of itself and furl has not been amazing in his in his career he's actually been been pretty bad given where he was picked by the raiders and then austin bryant same deal he's hurt but never really been super productive like they're hoping to get some kind of production out of one of those guys and that's in the event that drake jackson is good if Drake Jackson is not good, it's not like they have a player that they can fall back on. Last year, Drake Jackson, okay, not super productive. That's fine. Simpson Abacom is there. Charles Armena, who's there. Jordan Willis can play at that spot. Like, it wasn't. It wasn't that big of a deal. In fact, it was such a such such a not big deal. Such a small deal. That such a small deal. Un-big it was deal. so not. It was so not a big deal <laughs> that he was a healthy scratch at the end of the year, yeah. and they were fine. So I I'm of the belief that Drake Jackson I'm with you man he needs to be really really good because they don't have the horses behind him to accommodate him struggling again and that's not just as a pass rusher he needs to be able to play against a run yeah he needs to be a three down guy who isn't a liability in the run game, who's also getting after and pressuring the quarterback. And I think he can. Like the talent is pretty obvious. He made a couple of plays last year, both in the preseason and the regular season, that just athletically were sick. So you see why the Niners took him. But he has to show on the field now that he made some kind of jump because he's their starter. And there aren't a lot of options to to replace him. Yeah, I agree. What's up, y'all? I am psyched to announce our new sponsor, Oakley. Express your style and build a look that's made for you. Man, I have been, I'm legitimately so stoked about this. I've been wearing Oakley sunglasses since I can remember. I had a pair of the Flax for when I played baseball. They were a staple. I had them. Everyone on my team had them. And I've been rocking with Oakley ever since. Oakley is changing the game. And it's time to discover a whole new world of possibilities. Do you run, golf, 
train or do you just want to look like your favorite athlete? Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel's rocking Oakleys. Then you need to get yourself a pair of Oakleys today. Suited for everyday eyewear with frames and lenses allowing for an extension of self, an expression of your personality. There's more than meets the eye. Here on Candlestick Chronicles, we are all about look good, play good. Like, we debate what players are going to be good in the NFL based on what numbers they wear. Like, that's how much we believe in look good, play good. And that's why Oakley is the perfect partner for us. We don't leave our house in the morning without our Oakleys. And listen up, because it's officially almost summer, which means you need to upgrade your sunglass game right now. Not today, not tomorrow, because next thing you know, it's fall and you didn't upgrade your sunglass game. Go do that right now. Check out Oakley.com to get yourself a pair today. I've got a pair of Holbrooks. I've had two pairs of Holbrooks in the last 15 years. They are my favorite pair of sunglasses to wear. I don't leave the house without them. But get yourself a pair of Corridors or the Sutros. Both styles I really, really love, especially for summer where you're out barbecuing or you're out at the beach. They are just the perfect sunglasses. And did you know that Oakley even offers prism lens technology? So what the hell's that? <laughs> We're going to learn together. It's proprietary technology to Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. You want to know more? I know you do because I sure do, and we can do this together. Head on over to oakley.com and do your own research. As you know us, we love doing your own research on this show. And while you're there, get yourself a pair of everyday glasses that'll be sure to change your look for the better. I'm telling you, people talk about the glow up with facial hair. No, no, no. My glow up came when I bought a pair of Holbrooks. So... When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me. Try it for yourself. Well, trust me, but also try it for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you Oakley is not only the best looking, but it's the best quality. I told you I've had two pairs of Holbrooks. The one was because I lost them at a wedding, and I didn't even leave the town that the wedding was in before I left with a new pair of Holbrooks. I went to a to a store that sells sunglasses in the, in the town that I was visiting to get a new pair of Holbrooks uh, before before I went home. That's that's how much I love them. Uh, Oakley's not only the best looking, but they're absolutely the best quality out there. So head on over to oakley.com for more information today. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Weaved in there, Cleveland Furl, Austin Bryant are also among the players who need to step up. So they've lost Jordan Willis, Charles Amenahu, Samson Abukam. Yes. Abukam, Abukam, Abukam. Abukam. Um, yeah. It's it's a lot of turnover at defensive end. So yeah. yeah. So he needs he needs to be good. Where are you at on Danny Gray? Oh, another good choice. So Danny Gray is an interesting one because 
look, <laughs> if Danny Gray does not quote unquote step up, the Niners are fine. But they drafted him in the third round because he offers an element of speed that their offense just doesn't currently have. It's not like they're a bunch of slow dudes. But what he can do stretching the field horizontally, 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 (laughs) that's like a slant, (laughs) horizontally and vertically, they don't have that on their roster. Even Ray Ray McLeod, God love him is not the type of fast that Danny Gray is. Like a game-changing speed type of guy. So if you take all these weapons the Niners have, and then you factor in, okay, now here's Danny Gray, who when he goes in motion, defenses freak out. In the way that when when Miko Hardman was with the Chiefs, when he went in motion, it was like, forget Travis Kelsey, forget Tyreek Hill, forget whoever watch Michael Hardman because he can take it the distance if they get the ball in his hands. And so that's the kind of player I think Danny Gray can be for, for San Francisco. And I think if, if he's able to play and be on the field and be effective in those jet sweeps and be effective enough that when he stresses a defense vertically, it opens things up underneath for Debo Samuel, Brandon, I George Kittle, whoever, I think he suddenly becomes a really, really valuable member of their offense and gives them a wrinkle that they just don't really have with anybody else on on the roster. So I think Danny Gray, if the Niners are going to maximize, maximize what they're doing offensively, regardless of who's playing under center, I think it involves a scenario where Danny Gray is playing 20-plus snaps a game. I agree 100%. Um I have I have some trivia for you. Oh, Danny Gray. <laughs> oh, sorry. how many games did Travis Benjamin appear for the 49ers in 2021? Ooh. Eleven. That was ten. Damn. Point being. What an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he didn't have a catch. He had five targets. But do you remember throughout 2021, we're like, man, Travis Benjamin's getting a lot of run. Yes. And we're like, unclear why. What was what what was the game that he ran that vertical route and Garoppolo just badly underthrew him? That's could have been a few different games. But the the reason why I bring him up is because Kyle Shanahan has an affinity for a deep threat. It's also a key reason why Marquise Goodwin stuck around for so long and, and even got paid by the Niners, right? Like for as much as Kyle, like Kyle Shanahan wants to have a counter to everything he does mm-hmm. and a counter to his reliance on the running game is having somebody you have to account for in the vertical passing game. And that's what they brought Danny Gray in to be. Um, he's completely different than Debo Samuel. He's a different receiver than Brandon Ayuk. Mm-hmm. And I think to your point, like, adding a legitimate deep threat to this offense could create a lot of space and would just add another tool in Kyle Shanahan's toolbox or, or a club to his golf bag. Nice Um, dude. (laughs) And I think the 49ers could use that because the more dimensions you can have offensively, just the harder you are to defend. And even if Danny Gray is only playing 12 snaps a game, if two of those are just plays where you're just trying to hit him deep, 
then, you know, like whether you complete it or not, like that's something the defense has to account for. And in an ideal world, Brock Purdy is the type of quarterback that can make defenses pay when they're trying to load the box to stop the run and stop everything that happens in front of the defense. Like if you have somebody who can get behind the defense potentially, then that could be really game changing and, and open things up for all of the other playmakers the Niners have. So I think Danny Gray is a really important player um, because he's really the only one, maybe Brandon Ayuk, but like really the only guy you look at, like George Kittle probably isn't the deep threat that he used to be, right? Debo no. Samuel's never, he's made some plays down the field, but Debo Samuel, like his game is, is catching the, like getting the ball in his hands and, and letting him go. Right. Danny Gray represents that deep threat that the 49ers don't really have. And so I'm curious if they're going to be able to maximize him because I do think that could take the offense to a different level. If he, if he does get there, the thing is, and this is honestly one of my, one of my gripes with Kyle Shanahan is Gray's not going to get on the field if all he is is a deep threat. Like right. He's going to have to show that he can impact the game in short and intermediate areas and know where to line up and block. So so he is a wrinkle. It's not, oh, Danny Gray's out there. He's going to run straight and run really fast. There has to be more to his presence than that. And I think you're right. Like that's an Agreed. important part of it. That's an important part of it. But that's going to be there. I mean, we know he can do that. But now he has to do other stuff, and that's to me where he needs to step up. Four three three. Is he the fastest guy in the roster? He has to be, right? I think so. Do they have like they don't have like a four two guy, right? I don't think so. There aren't that many four two guys in the league. Yeah. Okay. In the L. <laughs> In the National Football League. Can we do the thing where every time we say the league, we call it the National Football League? Yeah. And instead of 100%. saying ball, we call it a football. The football. Yeah. I consume so much golf content, but that like, and I love all of it, but my one gripe <laughs> is like, we can just call it the course and not the golf course. We can call it the ball and not the golf ball. We can call it the club and not the, like, we can call it a swing and not a golf swing. It's like, I just started watching Drive to Survive. Yeah. And it's the guy from McLaren, Zach Brown. No spoilers on whether he's still with McLaren, but the guy who's with McLaren in the season I'm watching, Zach Brown, their team principal or whatever, he always goes, and I want to see what this guy can do in the race car. Right. I'm like, no, it's just the car, dog. We know it's a race car. We're going to go, wait, the car? Which one? Which car? Did we get it's his race car. We got it. It's the show. Anyways. Anybody ever like, you know, the next time we play golf, I'm be like, oh, good golf swing. Oh, <laughs> and, then, that's easy. And, then, and then I want you to turn around. And be, good golf. So what other swing could there be? <laughs> not, not that for me, it's like not that great of a golf swing, but decent baseball swing. Oh, there you go. <laughs> you know what? That, that would have been great on a low fastball. Right. Go get your ball from three fairways over. <laughs> <laughs> way to go. Way to go. Oppo. <laughs> Keep your hands inside of it. Well done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really good. Demetrius Flanagan fouls another player I have. And it's kind of weird because they have a million... step up for you, huh? Yeah, and it's... It's... I think it's more because if he doesn't, I don't know that he has a roster spot. It's Fred Warner, Dre Greenlaw, Oren Burks. 
And then they drafted Jalen Graham out of Purdue in the seventh round, and they drafted D. Winters out of TCU in the sixth round. And Demetrius Flanagan Fowles has been with the team since 2019. He hasn't really gotten an opportunity to get into a starting role because Aziz Alshire arrived around the same time, at the same time. So if he's not going to win the starting Sam linebacker job this year, I just don't know if there's room for, for him on the roster. I know he plays special teams, but I imagine that's something that D. Winters or Jalen Graham can also do. Yeah, I just don't know if he's really a Sam type. Like, I think he's more of a Will, and because he's a former safety, right? Well, so like, is Dre not... Greenlaw, but he played Sam while Quan Alexander was there. Sure, but Dre will Dre's a little bit more physical. Like, not that Flanagan Fowles isn't physical, but tip like I kind of think Aziz Alshire is the type of Sam that they're looking for, like just a, a big thumper. Like physical more, with an F. Yeah, with physical with an F, like more of like what we think of from a linebacker like 10 years ago. Somebody who's like 230, 240 pounds, like mm-hmm. can run sideline to sideline, but still like be physical and like help set the edge in the running game, right? I just don't know. Like planning and fouls was converted to linebacker more for his coverage skills. And he's long, but he's you know, he's not thick. And I just wonder, because it, it feels like the times that he has had to play, he's been a target. And right. it hasn't gone well. Right, he needs for... to step up. Right. I just, like, I kind of think Jalen Graham and D. Winters are, like, are coming for his spot in particular. And maybe even Marcelino McCrary Ball. Mm. Um, yeah, that's what I forgot. You know, and maybe maybe he's just a really good special teams player. And maybe that's how he makes it. There's Curtis Robinson, too. Um, who the 49ers Stanford. seem to like get that Stanford DNA in the lineup. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm with you. I Flanagan fouls. I definitely think needs me... to have a, have a really good training camp to make the team. Cause I don't know that I feel like they've added a bunch of, even though they, they haven't like invested a premium asset into, into one of those linebacker spots. They've, they've definitely invested a lot Yeah, in terms of and bringing maybe... other guys in. Maybe this is more of like a make or break thing for him than he needs to step up because really they just need a linebacker to step up. It doesn't necessarily need to be him. He's just been with the team for 2019 or since 2019, which is, I think, why I picked him. Jalen Graham, I'm in. Scott McLuhan. I, I trust Scott McLuhan when it comes to linebackers, man. I'm if in on Scotty Graham. Mack is in, Kyle Madsen is in. <laughs> the other one that that I've got down here is Diamond Lenore. Okay. And I say that because I think right now he's the favorite to start across from Trevarius Ward. And he's the only Moody option Ward. to start. Yeah. Yeah. It, outside of that, it's like Darrell Luter from South Alabama, fifth round pick, Ambry Thomas, who fell out of favor last year. Isaiah Oliver in his career has been way better in the slot than outside. So it's like Diameter Lenore, but he was fine last year. I don't want to turn this into a Diameter Lenore isn't good because he was fine last year, but he was really up and down. Remember that the, the Raiders game? He really got picked on. And he got mossed by 37-year-old A.J. Green in Week 18 against the Cardinals. And it was very much a, hey, throw it up, and he's gonna just going to be bigger than him. 
That said, Lenore in the playoffs, I've written about this so much that I've memorized the stats. In three playoff games, he got targeted 13 times. He allowed five catches. He had two picks, no touchdowns, and I believe allowed a passer rating of like 28.6. Clutch gene. He was no, he's really good in the postseason. And and so, okay, if that was him taking a step and that's the player the Niners are going to get this year, that's awesome. But if all year, if he's what he was in the regular season where it's just kind of up and down and, okay, there's a game where he allowed one catch on five targets, but then the next game he gave up two touchdowns and was the reason the Niners couldn't get off the field, like that's a pretty significant issue. So I think he needs to take that next step as a as a starting outside corner in the NFL, which I think he can. We saw it in the postseason. But he needs to step up and make that a season-long type of deal. Not that he's going to give up a 29 passer rating the entire year, but just be more consistently good on that side. So that brings up an interesting question I have. Is Isaiah Oliver the Niners' third outside corner? The guy that they're projecting to be their nickel? Because I think right, I think right, like if they had to play a game today, yeah, probably May twenty fifth. That would, that would be an ugly, ugly football game if they had to play. It'd be today. so bad. It would be really ugly. Um, yeah, because like beyond their top three corners, their quote unquote starters, if you count a nickel as a starter, it's not great. Like, there's not a ton of depth there. And no. so I do kind of think Isaiah Oliver, because he was drafted to be an outside guy. Correct. I but he think, really struggled there. Yeah, I think he's probably their number three corner. And that because like, I don't know, Darryl, rookie fifth round pick, Daryl Luter, Ambry Thomas. I mean, Ambry Thomas, you would think would be that guy. Maybe it's Sam Womack. Um, And, you know, maybe. I think Womack's an interesting guy too, because I think he's probably one of the more versatile corners they have, just in terms of like being mm. a guy that can play inside and outside. If you if you told me that Diameter Lenore did not start week one on the outside, I would say it was Sam Womack that did. Just came in and took his cookies. Yeah. That's what he's done his entire career. Yeah. Except last year. Sam Womack's a dog, bro. I'm just so in on him as a football player. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. You know me. You know I'm with you. I followed you to Sam Womack Island. Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing? The the renamed Jimmy Ward Island. That's still Jimmy Ward Island. I think it's. Are I think we our still stocks, out here? Yeah, we're out here. Come on. We're out here. We're we've been we've been living off the fruits of the land for a little bit. Price of the brick going up. <laughs> um, like Amory Thomas, I kind of think he falls into this category of like, you know, be. Like, he's kind of an important guy. Like, they're one or two injuries away from, like, man, is Amory Thomas, like, a starting corner? Over you know, like, under, he was a third-round pick two years ago. Over, over under half a snap for Drake Kirkpatrick with the 49ers this year? Under. Dear God. <laughs> Please be under. No, I, was... I think, honestly, maybe Amory Thomas is the right answer here. Although we're going to do a make or break pot at some point during the offseason, and I want to put him in that one. But they just need somebody to be good at cornerback. Outside of their top three guys. Yeah. Because they, like, they've gone like four, five, six deep like every year, it feels like. Like there's no, it, it doesn't, I'm going off the top of my head without looking, like it doesn't feel like there's ever been 
a season where it's like, no, they only really use three corners. Like there's been a lot of turnover, whether it's injuries or guy playing themselves up, guys playing themselves off the field. And maybe that was an issue, like an Akel Witherspoon issue. But I mean, Ambry Thomas, I know Adam Peters liked Ambry Thomas a lot and he just, you know, last year was not a great look for him. No, it's really. So really I'm curious, I'm curious to see if Ambry Thomas like comes in to training camp and is like looking like a dude who's ready to like contribute and have a long NFL career or somebody who's just kind of got drafted and never really asserted himself in the league in the national football league. Right. Can he get his hands on the football (laughs) in the national football league? Do you have anyone else? Those are the ones that really jump out. Jake Moody. You step up this year. Ty Davis price. Oh, Ty Davis Price is a good one. Or Jordan Mason, either of those two players. Because the Niners' third running back is a sneaky big spot. Like, you kind of have to just, as good as Elijah Mitchell is, you just kind of have to assume there's a 50% chance he's not going to be available on any given Sunday. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, you, you obviously don't want Christian McCaffrey getting 25 carries a week. Like you're you're in on Christian McCaffrey getting a bunch of touches and being a major part of the offense. But like over the long haul, you would love to have, you know, somebody pushing the pile <laughs> that's not Christian McCaffrey. And I think Ty Davis Price, particularly as a third round pick, like that's somebody that you would like to see come in and, and be able to contribute because like McCaffrey and Mitchell, I think you can make a compelling case that that's the the best one two, like when healthy in the NFL at running back, right? The best starter and backup combination. Is that is that a, a fire take? Alexander Madison and Dalvin Cook are pretty good. Okay, but like Mitchell and McCaffrey, they're up like there. There there aren't like, that many one two punches in the league that are that good. Yeah. When healthy, though, like and so if you lose Mitchell, obviously, that's a pretty substantial part of it. So like to have Ty Davis price would be a really and maybe it is just Jordan Mason. But, I, you know, like you would ideally like your draft picks to, to pan out, especially especially when you've had so much trouble drafting when you're Kyle Shanahan and you feel like you can develop a running game out of thin air while also being unable to draft a running back in the third round or fourth round. Like it's, it's just a weird confounding thing. There are a few like very weird confounding things with Kyle Shanahan and the running back thing is absolutely wonderful. I agree. I think the ideal 49ers running back situation is McCaffrey's on the field a lot. It lessens Elijah Mitchell's workload where he can stay healthy but I think the maximized version of the Niners offense has McCaffrey and Mitchell on the field together at various points. Yeah. And then CMC slot receiver. I'm all in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then if they follow their game script, you then lean on one of Ty Davis price or Jordan Mason to be that quote unquote closer to eat the yes 10 to 12 carries into the line at the end of the game where you're trying to burn clock. Yeah. Bring in the fresh legs. Who's really, who's willing to run through some faces in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And it just takes, 
Yeah. That's a lot of wear and tear on those runs. Yes. Like where a defense just stacking up at the line and you have to go slam into some dudes. <laughs> if they could keep Christian McCaffrey under, like say he's healthy all season, if they could keep him under 200, 200 carries, but oh. still have him like be super productive in the offense, like that would yeah. be, that would be sort of ideal, I think. Because yeah, you, you keep in mind, you need Christian McCaffrey to be one of your best players in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's easy. I think too, it's yeah, because I don't want to I don't want to say touches because like his his receptions are just going to be dependent on pass rush. And not not all of them, but there's gonna be a lot of checkdowns where it's not like necessarily a designed touch. But in his so he had 329 touches last year. He had a career high 403 in 2019. Jesus. I think the 300 to 330 range is probably about right. Yeah, 329 last year. Yeah. But 211 and 11 games with the Niners. He had 85 catches last year. Is that good? It's just so casual. That's crazy. He had 85 catches. He averaged 19 touches a game with the Niners last year. That's 326 over the whole season. So 52 52 catches in 11 games. About five a game. Yeah, almost five a game. Not terrible. Sorry, my nose is just starting to plug up as as I'm doing that. That's all right. Just sounding like a total nerd over here. Yeah. Anyways. I've not I, I don't think I have anyone else. Christian McCaffrey needs to step up. Christian McCaffrey has to be better. <laughs> no, I got nothing else. Um I love that I love that idea that they seventh and offensive player of the year voting. Given what they traded for this guy, he's got to be top three. Need more. Where was he in the <laughs> NFC championship game? <laughs> that touchdown he had I I will randomly just watch his touchdown in the NFC title game. I don't do that with very many plays, but it was just such a ridiculous individual effort in a game right. that it felt like the Niners were destined to lose. They kind of had a little bit of hope when he scored that one. Yeah. It wasn't I would be dead yet. Again, I don't think I don't think there's a there's not a universe where they win with Josh Johnson and a quarterback, I don't think. But <laughs> I would love to think. see <laughs> there's probably not. But but <laughs> <laughs> anything can happen. If Jamie Foxx taught us anything, it's that any given Sunday. Sure. Mm-hmm. So, no, I, I, I would love to see how that game goes if he doesn't fumble that snap before the half. Gosh, that's a deep cut. I don't even. I don't even the, remember. The Eagles scored. Right oh, Josh Johnson's fumble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then he just dropped a snap. And the Eagles recovered and then went in and scored again before the half. Again, not that they would have won, but if they go down and uh, Debo Samuel breaks off a big run after the catch and they get a field goal there at the end of the half, I don't know. Maybe it's There close, definitely maybe was a point. I definitely remember a point in the second quarter. Like, damn, the Niners' defense is kind of kicking Philly's ass. They were. <laughs> also, I would love – here's another – just while we're here, we're just going to relitigate shit. I don't know. Uh <laughs> I also want to go to the universe where they challenge the very clearly dropped fourth down throw. Yeah. 
on the Eagles' first drive because their first drive got extended on that on that play. And then another ridiculous like third down hurts backpedaling throws at AJ Brown makes this ridiculous shoe top catch over the middle on a th- it, there were just I don't know. Yeah. Wild. Them grapes be sour. I kind of wonder I kind of wonder too if this is okay, we're going to fast forward into the future now or bring it <laughs> back to the present. I do wonder if that play with Devonte Smith down the sideline, where they didn't challenge it, if that changes Kyle Shanahan's philosophy on challenging plays at all. It just starts doing it more willy nilly. You're almost maybe to the more, point. Maybe not more willy nilly, but like that's a huge spot, dude. That's yeah, a fourth. That wasn't a second down. That was your defense got off the field. Yeah, it, it would have been like. I mean, it was a seven point swing. Yeah, basically. Um. I'm almost to the point where, like, if you see an offense, like, rushing to the line of scrimmage after a play like that, you just challenge. Sort of no matter what. Or bur- if, or just burn a timeout. Yeah. I mean, I guess. Especially, especially want, in the first half. Challenge. Yeah, especially in the first half. Like, first half timeouts are decidedly less important than second half timeouts. And especially, like I said, if that was a second or third down play, fine. But, like, that was a fourth down, man. And you had your players on the field like, hey, he dropped that. Yeah. I, don't know. I mean, Kyle if we're doing... pretty stubborn, though, so. If, if we're doing this, I really think Kyle Williams should not have muffed those punts. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Subscribe, we're... rate, review, everybody. <laughs> we're relitigating <laughs> important conversations. <laughs> Yo, Roger Craig! No. <laughs> Anyways. Garrison Hurst should not have hurt his knee. Bullshit. Underrated, underrated what if in 49ers history. They might have won the Super Bowl. They were pretty good. That was 98? Yeah, that was the catch two. Damn, AstroTurf game. Mm. All right, let's get out of here. Yeah, this has gone on way too long. Thanks everybody who stuck around. Subscribe, rate, review. We'll be back next week with more. See ya. Bye.